Welcome, this is the McWilson Wickham podcast where we talk about everything and anything relating to running our property investment business. During each podcast we're going to discuss topics that have an impact on our business that we find interesting and we'll hopefully be sharing some lessons from the experience along the way that other people might find useful. We'd love to hear what you think, so feedback, questions or podcast topic suggestions would be welcome and can be sent to podcast at mcwilson.co.uk. So thank you for joining us and let's get stuck into this episode. Enjoy. Right, hello and um, welcome on to another version of the McWilson Wickham podcast. We still haven't thought of a better name for it. Um, yep. So I'm sitting here again with Matthew Wickham. Hello. And what we're going to talk about today is something that is probably the most common question we get asked by family, friends and colleagues, um, which is really how do they get into property investing? So over a coffee um, with anybody that you know, you'll generally start talking about what you do and what you've done at the weekend. And often my weekends revolve around property and what I've done, either service accommodation or a guest's done X, Y, Z or chatting with you and that leads into conversations. So normally if you haven't, um, spoken to the person about it for a while, they'll ask, well, how did you get into that? What have you done? And all, that'll always lead into how much money are you making? I don't know if you get that quite a lot, but okay. I quite often get the, how much money in that? I think it's a weekly question that somebody will come up with, you know, how did you start? Why did you start? Yeah. How, how do you get you, the money question? Yeah. I, I, do you get asked what are the returns like, yeah. you know, but then I suppose it's all, it's all relative. I yeah, guess. it's quite funny though because people will ask it in loads of different ways. So what, what margin do you get? And what, what's the website? I can check your rates. And you know, there's loads yeah. of different ways to try and figure out. Anyway, um, so people generally after finding out what you're doing, that you're in property, will ask a lot about advice and pick away. So something funny about property that everybody kind of wants to get into property in some ways. Yeah, I think it's a, it's almost like a cultural psyche, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I can't remember speaking to anybody or ever thinking I wasn't going to ever grow up and own a house. Yeah. And I think there's there's something about a general sort of countrywide ambition that, you know, people in this country in the UK get to get to buy their own house. Um unfortunately the the way things have been going over the past 10 years, it's getting more and more difficult. Yeah, not so easy. And yeah, not so wages easy. are not as, as high as or increasing as highly as property prices no, on average. No, getting on that ladder the first time is incredibly difficult now. I mean, it felt hard enough when I bought my first flat, but now it just seems like you've got a massive leap to get the money together for a deposit for what is relatively expensive property now. Yeah, I think the average is over £220,000 for a, an average house. I actually didn't know that. that and, I mean, that's that's quite a significant sum of money. That, that is a chunk, yes. You know, if you're trying to find a 10 or 15, 20% deposit, which most people are looking for, yep. um, you've got to have, you know, some in the region of £20,000 plus savings. Yeah. And I think I read somewhere not too long ago, may have even been this weekend, the average person in the UK doesn't have more than £100 savings. Yeah, so I don't know so, what the article was, um, but I read something very similar that said most people don't have enough money to cover a one-month gap in wages. Yeah. Um, so trying to save up 20000 for a deposit is incredibly difficult to do for most people. Um, and once you've got one, but I, we've kind of went on a tangent, I guess once you've got one, um, people generally want to invest in property. I don't know whether it's since um, Sarah Beanie or location, 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 but people seem to want or gravitate towards the idea of investing in property and being a property developer. Mm. And I don't know if you get this quite a lot, but when me and Lindsay are out just socialising and say, what does Lindsay do? And we say she does property. And the number of people that go, oh, I'd love to do that. That would be so good. Mm. Oftentimes um, it's 
husband and wife would quite like to do it together. Yeah. And for some weird reason, they think there's a barrier to doing it. And when they recognise that there isn't, um, it's always quite an interesting conversation, which I guess is what this it is. podcast is intended to be about. Is like you can, there's ways you can get started in property that isn't quite as scary and intimidating as it may initially appear. I, I think that's the main, the main sort of objection that most people give when I have this conversation with them is, I don't have enough money. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't. Ha- I don't have the money to start, and I, I don't know if. If, if the listeners know this, but um, between us, we have fifteen plus years of yep. of experience in property. We just worked um, out and depressed ourselves. <laughs> yeah, and and I think what's incredible about that is is that the longer we've been doing it, the more obvious and realistic it becomes yes. to actually use less money. Yes, to invest in property. I wish I'd known quite a lot of it when I started because it would have accelerated starting. You think, man, this took me so yeah. long to get to this point when if I'd just known how easy it was to get started without having the capital, having done a few flips to build up that momentum. I think of some of the things that I could have done alongside what I was doing at the time, and I know we're going to talk about it in a minute, but uh, the number of monetizing opportunities that I could have used in things that I just discarded yep. yes. is is incredible. Um, so I, I think it's probably worth starting at the the, the lower end because the vast majority of people who don't know how to invest in property or maybe don't know all the different ways you could invest in property spending lots and lots of money twenty thousand pounds plus is is quite a significant yeah gamble if not, you're yeah, if you're not absolutely. educated yes and so maybe starting with the lower v- value and some of the strategies that we now know of yeah that, and we've used that that could potentially allow people to get into property without maybe risking everything yeah i think well i think it's a good place to start it does a few things Uh, first of all it lets people get access to working in property um without necessarily having massive capital sitting there to do it with and also hopefully we can try and help explain to people that have got a bit more capital that you can de-risk that quite a lot yeah because if you've managed to get that much money sitting available for a deposit you're going to be pretty protective of that Absolutely. because you've worked damn hard to get it. So yeah. I think trying to, because um, I've had that a couple of times as well, I don't know if you have, that people have actually got some investment funds, whether it's been um, their pension, they've moved into a separate SAS or whatever they've got. Um, inheritance. Inheritance, yeah, exactly. So they've got a pot of money sitting there they want to do something with, but actually doing something with it's quite scary. Yeah. So a surprising number of people have it sitting in the bank. You go, man, that, you're just throwing money down the drain. You're Losing. Out. Yeah, exactly. Um, and loads of others will invest in very traditional ways. They'll give it to speak to a financial advisor and they'll spread it across a portfolio that's relatively low risk. And I think there's other ways of getting low risk without necessarily missing out on that return, which is hopefully what we'll talk about. Yeah, and I think before we start talking about any of the different strategies, it is worth pointing out that we're not giving financial advice to yep, anybody yes. in doing yes. so. We are not uh, financial advisors. We do not play one on the internet. <laughs> um, but we're actually we're actually just talking about strategies that we use yes. and have been using successfully and continue to use. Absolutely. So I guess it's like um, in any market or hedge fund, you do get the warning that the markets may go up as well as down. So there's always this warning and I guess um, past performance is no guarantee of future success. However, um, these are strategies that we have excuse me actively using ourselves um and we just wanted to share them but yeah absolutely right this is by no um, stretch of the imagination yeah. <laughs> the financial advice yeah so starting i guess starting at the lower end so um five thousand pounds whilst it's, it's not an insignificant amount of money it can seem like a small amount of money to start in property so matt if you had five thousand pounds where do you start i'd start with podcasts 
Sounds like not a bad idea. Because they're free. Yeah, exactly. And you can get a lot of information about property investment. I mean, this podcast is, is one of many. Yeah, um, so I guess just to be all about, you'd start with education. Wouldn't yes. You? So that before you do anything with that £5,000, take the time to learn and educate yourself a little bit about what yeah. your options are. Yeah, the first time you do something new, what are the likelihood that you'll get it right first time? Yeah, pretty excellent. Um, so yeah. you can get a bit of knowledge and you don't have to pay a huge amount of money to get knowledge. As I say, podcasts are free. Yep. There are plenty of books now available um, that you can download and listen to or you can just order them on Amazon and, and read and they are not going to cost the earth. But you will get a huge insight into how people, other people have uh, successfully invested in property, have done things terribly wrong yeah and i think that's incredibly valuable as well is learn learn other people's mistakes don't spend thousands of pounds making them yourself yeah, absolutely but don't uh, be frightened off by them again. no yeah. no i mean there are obviously things that will not go quite to plan yep. but that's part of life that's not just property absolutely yeah i mean it's all about how you manage or mitigate your risk isn't yes. it everything has risk um but yeah, so you but, control that risk but once you once you have some knowledge about what you're doing it actually starts to de-risk your financial investment yep absolutely for want of better words and that um almost cliched phrase knowledge is power and yeah. this is it absolutely is the more you know and um, the better your investing will be yeah and the better decision you'll make and and hopefully the better returns you make absolutely um so that's that's probably where i would say everybody should start yep. even somebody who's maybe had some investing experience in the past you know you can always learn something new from somebody else yeah you can always go back to this it's still still a relatively low cost high return investment on your knowledge yeah i agree and you can learn a surprising amount um without investing heavily in training courses so yes. um, i mean websites like ours where we post the article here and there to try and give some information out and there's loads of other people do it um so you don't necessarily have to invest in fairly intensive training so i guess full disclosure ones and i did um and it, it helped us but i don't think in any way it would have Hindered us had we not, if we took your approach, which is basically you haven't really attended any training courses, you've just read quite a lot of I, I, I just read, and, yeah. read a lot of information and I, I kind of work out myself whether or not I, I like what I'm reading yeah. and believe that that's possible. And to some extent, I, I talk to people and find out the information um, without necessarily needing to go to the courses. Yeah, and exactly. sometimes I, I try and get it right, sometimes I try and. <laughs> get it slightly wrong but usually the fall's not too bad so yeah and it's one of the good things with property yeah as it's generally a very forgiving investment if you can hold on to it for long enough you'll generally mitigate any loss you would have yeah <laughs> that, that, that hands up that, yeah. that definitely works yeah exactly. <laughs> so um moving past just the knowledge that hopefully um if you're listening to this podcast you'll recognize that it adds value to know more um where would you start what would you do with the money once you had the knowledge i think i think the next question i would ask is how much time have you got if you've got if you've got a busy job and you've a busy family or a busy lifestyle and you don't have the necessarily hours in the day to put into investment in property investment or whatever um i'd look at things like you know crowdfunding um would be my starting point for low value capital and and low value time you can there are lots of people who are looking for money to project fund and the big big property investments, and they they quite often get crowdfunding to to help sort these out, and you can essentially own a small piece of that property. Yep, and, and you can choose your risk level actually. Yeah, because uh, generally you're so higher risk, higher return, but you can generally um, manage that to whatever you find palatable. Yeah, and you can use the knowledge that you may have learnt in 
previous points raised and go ahead and say, well, actually, I think this is a reasonable project to go and invest in. Yep. Um, you could argue it's better than leaving your money in the bank. Yeah, well, it's always worth making sure that when you are investing, you are making more money than just leaving it in the bank. Otherwise, yeah. there's very little point not just leaving it in the bank, which yeah. is the no risk whatsoever, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And quite a lot of these projects uh, typically last somewhere between six and sort of six months and two years. Yeah, they're generally quite so a fast return on your investment. You're not, you're not, you're not losing your capital availability and liquidity yep, that, for all. that long. So that's a, that's a, that's a relatively straightforward. Uh, starting point that doesn't really mean you have to have lots of money in the bank account definitely so you'd mentioned at the beginning of us talking about that that if you've got money but no time you do crowdfunding what would you do if it was the other way around so you've got no money but you've got time so that's that's where the conversation when people ask me how do you do property investing with no money gets more interesting when when i'm asked about it i'm sure it's the same for you and you, you start talking about things like deal packaging where you that's a commonly used phrase in the property business. Yeah, you might but, have to explain it though. But essentially what it means is is that you can find a, a property that may have a discount and then offer that deal onto other investors. And if you have the time and energy to go and find these kind of properties, you can actually um, monetize that time and by selling it on to somebody else who maybe doesn't have the time but does have the capital to be able to buy a property with a discount and pay you a small fee for the privilege. So this can be a concept that um, some people have spoken to, it blows their mind a little bit, that there is such a thing as below market value in properties. So people will generally look at um, the home report value, think that's what it goes at. You'll maybe get a couple of thousand underneath it, but that's the ceiling. I mean, I've spoken to people about the fact, actually, you can buy properties significantly below market value and then sell them on, that can baffle them. So do you want to give a couple of examples of yeah, how so, those numbers would work, for example? So uh, typically you'd want to look at something like a 20 to 25% discount on the home report valuation. Um, so, for example, if the home report value was £100,000 for ease of calculation, you would want to try and agree with the seller that you would uh, buy it for £75,000. You could then take that agreement and you can do that all properly and above board with solicitors and documents etc and you can take that on to another investor and say look i've got this property it's got a home report value of a hundred thousand pounds you can buy it for seventy five thousand pounds and pay me my fee which might be one or two thousand pounds yeah uh for the privilege of of taking this property and and purchasing it directly from the seller so do you want to give a couple of just random examples about how you could get a property that's you're buying it for 25000 when it's worth a hundred, because that generally blows people's minds as why would anybody sell it for 25000 less than it's worth. Yeah, so n- this is not your typical seller. Yeah, and this is exactly where the, the point to make. Yeah. This is where the time factor comes in. So uh, in the past, I might have viewed 40 or 50 properties and made offers as low as 25% below their asking price. And I might have been told 49 out of the 50 times Thank you very much, but go away politely. Yep. Oftentimes um, not that polite. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, it's very unusual that I'm going to get somebody to say yes immediately. However, time also works in my favor and against the seller's favor. So it might be that two months later, my offer suddenly seems more appealing. Yeah, so it's worth, I always think it's worth pointing out at this point that because um, people sometimes think you're doing something nefarious or a bit del boy about it 
and I guess just to be clear, whenever I've done this in the past, the offers that we've made have been below market value. However, you're solving a problem for the seller. So it's never done as a, um, there's nothing below board about it. It's all, this is the offer, come back to me. It's on the table, just let me know. Yeah. It's always their choice to come back. You're fixing an issue for them. Uh, there's nothing nefarious about it because people can sometimes think that is bizarrely. And they might not have the issue immediately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They might have the issue later on down the line, maybe two months, four months, six months down the line. This is something that doesn't happen immediately and very quickly, but it, it does happen. Um, there are other circumstances, um, either maybe probate properties where the the family want or the estate want to liquidate the asset and therefore sell the property rather quickly. Uh, repossessions is another uh, sort of typical way you can find these auction properties. You, you may be able to um, just get get a good price on the on the property at the auction on the day because there's generally reasons went to auction. Yeah, and so there are there are these properties available. They're not obvious, and you do have to look for them. And that's why, although you can maybe do this without any money in the bank, you will need some time to actually find them and wait for the deals to come. Yes, and um, also find someone to sell the deal to once you have it. Yes. Um, and part of that is having the local knowledge of your area or the area where you're looking to to actually be able to say this is actually a deal and this is why it's a deal because you've got comparables that prove that fact. Yeah, so quite a lot of time on Rightmove and other such websites to try and find out what is the market value for a similar property on the street. Uh, so you've then got a rough idea of what the market value yeah. is, not just immediately going by home report, I guess, which people can sometimes do. Yeah, and I suppose there is a the cynical part of me does know that when the home reports are requested by the sellers, the seller, the agent wants to get the highest value on their home report to sell that property for the best possible price. Yep. So there is a slight artificial inflation. I think that's fairly well understood actually in in Scotland anyway. Agree. Um that the home report is slightly above what the true market value is. So yep. going below it is actually a, a relatively important fact um yeah uh, you've heard, it's interesting have you ever found sellers that have been surprised by that that then that their home report is yeah is actually the, inflated. yeah is the top end of what you can likely expect so i guess back in the days of 10 12 years ago people were paying massively over what the survey price was and my daughter in 2007 that the the height of the bubble hmm. so we say um and interestingly i think people still sometimes think that they're going to get offers over the home report and you still do so obviously yeah. there's there examples this happens however most times as you say the home report value is kind of the top end of what your valuation bracket is yeah. and and that's because people are trying to sell their property for the most amount but these yeah. aren't the people that you're really targeting with the strategy of deal packaging yeah you're really targeting the people who are having a problem selling their property and that you're coming in and relieving them of that stress burden problem of having the property by yeah, taking absolutely. it off their hands but the the key part is that you've got to find someone to package that deal on too so if yeah you, if absolutely. you haven't haven't got that link you're, you're potentially the middleman in connecting a and b but if you can do it and there are people who are out there who are doing it and they get plenty of plenty of referral fees and absolutely yeah and, a lot of people make quite a good living just doing that one strategy yeah. and quite a lot of people actually do it part-time more or less yeah. so instead of going home and putting on the television or spending all the time on youtube or instagram they'll actually spend time 
on Finding probably deals. websites, yeah, um, and they'll do it for a couple of hours a night, and it's amazing how quickly that can mount up, just sitting at your kitchen table with a laptop and a cup of coffee. Hmm. Um, but it's, it's surprising how much, it's, it's interesting how quickly you can get through them. Hmm. So you review a hell of a lot of properties quite quickly, and you don't make it seem that hard. Because I guess you're just practiced at what you look at now. I think I think there is an element of pattern recognition, yeah. you know. And and it, at the very start when I started out in property, it took me a long time, mm. and it, I spent a, a lot of time actually doing what you just described, <laughs> sitting on the kitchen table, yep. checking out right move. Um, but it's interesting. You, you probably used to. It was almost you're into every property. You're reading every description. You're opening every home report. You're almost agonizing over every property, whereas now you're much better. And nope, nope, nope. Yes, yes. You can spot the patterns and start to see the the, the things that you're really looking for yep. become more obvious. But that is, again, going back to the the knowledge is power kind of point is that once you start to to invest a bit of time and and information and practice into this, actually, you can start to see. And I think what the nice thing about deal packaging is is that it starts to highlight that when you're looking for a property actually to purchase, which we'll talk about uh, in a bit, that, that actually all the ones that you didn't buy, you could potentially use as a deal package. So it's a, it's a second stream, if you like, of, of income that you could uh, potentially monetize. Yeah, so whilst um, you're looking, you've, so when we look to buy properties, we're obviously looking to buy them below market value anyway. Hmm. And there may be some that you find that are 10% below market value yeah. that we're not necessarily interested in, but someone else may well be. Yeah. So the ones that you're not wasting time by looking at these properties and you've almost got it as a byproduct yeah. income stream of trying to find properties yeah. you want to buy. It's, yeah. it's, it is possible to do. And there are some regulations that you have to keep on, on top of with, with, uh, with deal packaging. And it is important that you are doing it in the right and proper way. And there are actually people who are, um selling courses and how to do all this stuff and they give you all the information if you want to go down that line um but it's actually not that difficult no i mean do. i guess that's probably a good prompt we're, we're not in our this podcast isn't intended to be a deep description of every avenue we may do a couple actually yeah and um, they'll actually walk through how you would do deal packaging for example but that isn't the podcast we're on yeah so yeah good prompt a good prompt so we've covered off the um crowdfunding option if you've got a lot of money but not a lot of time yeah we've covered off deal packaging which is the opposite so you've got a lot of time and a lot of money so um i guess if you've got a combination of both so you've got five thousand pounds you've got a lot of free time whether it's you you can do it after work or at weekends the next option i guess and it's one we gravitated towards quite quickly was Hmm. um rent to rent for service accommodation but you can obviously just do rent to rent so do you want to give a quick overview of what that is the one-line explanation of rent-to-rent is where you can basically take control of a property without having to actually buy it and then use it for service accommodation or to create a, a, a increased profit uh, per month. Yep. So I guess at its simplest form of rent-to-rent, you would look to rent a property off of a landlord for £500 a month and ideally rent it on to someone else for £750 a month. It sounds that simple. Yeah. So that's the absolute simplest. Now, there's a lot of legislation and there's a lot of uh, hoops you've got to be careful to jump through when doing that. So obviously your lease has to allow sublets and so on. So uh, there is, it's not quite as simple as just go out, get one and throw straight back to market. However, that uh, simplest form, that's what rent-to-rent is. Yes. And the more nuanced one, which I guess is one of our primary strategies, is rent to service accommodation. Yes. So um, that's where we will find, well, I say we, you, will find a property <laughs> for us to rent. We'll rent that property from the landlord with absolute full disclosure over what we intend to do. 
we will then use that property as a serviced accommodation that we basically use as short-term lets. Yeah, and you rent it out by the night. Yeah, which gives you quite a significant um, return on investment versus what the single rental is. Yeah, and our, in that scenario, the capital investment, so the £5,000 that we would try and utilise, would be to actually furnish the property uh, in the correct way for service accommodation because that does include different things compared to just a normal rental as well as the um, initial deposit that we would have to give the landlord to let them to let them rent it to us the the difficult part in this strategy is the amount of time that it takes to do and manage yes it, it takes time to actually set it up and explain to agents and landlords what it is that you're actually doing and you do need to have some knowledge which Colin and Lindsay uh, obtained from their initial courses. That was the training course, yeah. So if you can persuade and explain what it is that you're trying to do confidently, and I think that is the key part here, you have to have the confidence to actually say you're going to do it, and then you can actually run it and spend the time running it, service accommodation or rent service accommodation works phenomenally well as a way of investing a small amount of capital like five thousand pounds or less and actually generating significant returns you know you might even be able to generate you know a thousand pounds every month in profit yeah um from this simple strategy so with that five thousand pounds so again we're just using examples you would use part of it to pay the rent and whatever deposit is necessary to rent the property if you're getting an unfurnished property, which you generally would if you're doing service accommodation, you'd use an additional to either buy or rent furniture to furnish the property. You need to buy some linen. And then you've basically invested that £5,000 and that's almost your expenditure done. So you're obviously going to have running costs and everything else, but you'd largely like to think that's going to be covered by the guests you've got coming in, the income you're generating. Mm. And like you say, you're basically generating revenue every month. And I suppose the difference between this and the other two strategies that we've talked about is there is an element of higher risk involved with this strategy. Absolutely. But that comes with the higher reward. And if if you're not aware of what those higher risks are, then it, it can this can be game over. You know, you can stop your property investing before you've even started because yeah. typically for this kind of um scenario, we would rent the property for three years from the landlord. So you're you're already signing up to say you're paying the rent for three years before you've had a single guest, before you've bought a single piece of furniture Absolutely. or even a knife and a fork. Yep. So you are you are signing up to to something which, if no guests come or you have problems, or you can't have guests in the property because there's problems, you're still liable to pay that rent. Yes, absolutely. So I guess the the purpose of this podcast is to give people information to then go and look into further. Yes. So this isn't an immediately, right, I've got the money, I'm going to now going to have a quick fuck through, right, move, get a flat and start. Yeah, you have to. So if you think that you may have the time to do service accommodation and do it as a rent-to-rent strategy, you should invest the time in figuring out how do you test a market, how do you identify the correct properties, what lease options do you have to have, so what is your contract between yourself and the landlord have to say, um, how do you get on property portals. So there's a lot of stuff you have to do. Yeah. You'll have to invest that time. But it certainly is a lucrative strategy. And when done right. Yes, exactly. So yeah, as, as we said at the beginning, uh, this is not financial advice. However, uh, it would be an option to go and explore that one further if it sounds like it fits what you want to do. Yeah. So so that's, I guess we've kind of covered off the 5,000. Um, 
and it's interesting. I think there's probably a few things come out of that that we could talk about in a little bit more detail in future podcasts. I think so. I think some of these might be of value to people. And we could probably help some people not have to invest massive amounts of money in training if we can just <laughs> give them information on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the next, so say there's a little bit more um, money sitting behind you. So you've got 25000 to invest. Well, let's not speculate how you've got that money. <laughs> so what would you do if you had that 25000 I, I actually had this happen to me uh, a couple of weeks back is uh, one of my uh, work colleagues uh, had an inheritance and it was £25,000. And he, was, he doesn't own his own house and he was asking me exactly what he should do and um i think the key thing is is obviously that you should always invest this in the thing that's right for you yes definitely um these are just some examples that we can give you um but in in true property investment i.e we're not talking about your own home yes um something that you may not be aware of is that you can actually just buy a property for less than twenty five thousand pounds outright yep uh, in cash you can go <laughs> there are places in scotland there are places in northern england um, I'm sure there are places in other parts of the UK as well, but I, I'm not from those areas that, to definitely say so. But I have done this. I've bought properties for less than £25,000 in cash. Yep, absolutely. And they, they come with their own challenges. So they it's, do. it's not an immediate straightforward rental. However, you're basically buying a property that will give you some return and you own bricks and mortar. You do. In Scotland, at least, bricks and mortar, right? Yeah. And what's lovely is banks don't give you mortgages for these kind of properties. So you don't have to bother about paying a mortgage back. And you tend to get reasonable returns in terms of rent. I would say, you know, you'd look at a return on your investment of at least 12% gross per annum. Uh, I'd say that's at least. Hmm. Um, But I would say that the the problems that tend to come with these kind of properties, they're not in the most desirable areas. You tend to get um, housing benefit tenants. Sometimes they can be great and sometimes you can have large void periods and damage to the property. So you take your rough with the smooth in these kind of investments and I wouldn't say they were initially the first ones that I would jump to, um, but it is possible. Yep, absolutely. And And I think sometimes um, people don't always realise that, that it is possible to do. Yeah, And, and maybe if you're somebody who maybe isn't eligible for mortgages, this might seem more appealing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um. So so that's certainly one one thing you can look at. I suppose the other thing that I didn't mention there is that if you're buying a property under £40,000, so if you're buying it for £39,999.99, <laughs> you are exempt of paying any additional stamp duty or, in Scotland, the land and building transaction tax. Which is nice. Which is always handy. So it's something that's quite straightforward. Um, it does exactly what it says on the tin. And if I'm being wholly honest to our listeners i would probably get an agent to manage the property as well absolutely it takes a lot of hassle out of your day if you can do that yeah it reduces the amount of time that you're going to spend looking after your investment yeah and given that you're not paying huge outlays uh because you haven't got a mortgage um you can probably it's very hands-off and very passive for not a lot of additional cost it's about as passive as passive can ever get yeah absolutely absolutely um the other sort of straightforward um, investment strategy that this that is probably think, the most standard one that people think of yeah, when they think is, of investment is just buy to let, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, just go and buy a property, use the investment capital you've got as your deposit, and crack on. So this is people's go-to, I guess. Everybody you talk to about property thinks that this is largely what property yeah. investing is. Is you rather you buy it. Um, paint everything magnolia and sell it on with foreign uplift which is called flipping or you do buy to let which is you buy it 
paint everything magnolia and then wet out. Yeah, and in terms of in terms of vanilla by Tillets, which is exactly what you're talking about, you don't even need to have any skill. Nope. The, you don't have to go and buy this at a discount. There are tons of these properties available online at any given moment in any given area. And if you do your sort of research appropriately for more than five seconds, you'll figure out that there are areas where the house price is reasonable and the rental returns are good. And you'll probably look to get something somewhere in the region of seven to ten percent per annum gross return, yeah, which is forward. heck of a lot better than any uh, bank interest I've ever seen. Um, I think it's, it's important to pick your area for doing these, though, because yeah. I, I think what's interesting is with the increase in people's awareness of property investing. So I keep saying it's the Serabini effect, mm. but there's, there's a lot more awareness of people being able to um, buy properties, refurbish them, and make a return. Mm. In some ways, in certain areas, this is a very saturated market. So where I generally operate, or sorry, where I live, um, the Aberdeen Aberdeenshire area is actually very difficult to get a decent property to then buy and refurbish because they're almost going for too much money because there's a lot of people want to do that yes. so interestingly that the the actual true market value of the properties that need refurbished is beginning to increase to the point that it's eating into your resale margin because everybody wants to do it yeah. so you've got to make sure you're picking the market but that's quite an unusual circumstance in most parts of the country it's pretty straightforward to find the property that you think yeah i can add a bit of value there put in central heating do whatever yeah. i think i think i think that's even that's even the step above what we were even talking about here because actually you can just go and buy any property you don't even have to buy it at a discount you don't have to do anything to it oh, yeah, you, you could buy the property yeah, buy a turnkey yeah. property yeah. you've got 25k sitting in the bank yeah, you can true. go i mean realistically by the time you've got fees and stamp duties and things uh building transaction tax in scotland you know you, you're talking about a twenty thousand pound deposit you could easily go and buy an eighty thousand pound property literally take the keys Yep, from, this, right. from the solicitor that you've bought it from to the estate agent, hand over the keys and say, find me a tenant, please. Yeah, throw them across the office as an agent that does both, <laughs> just throw it across the office. Yeah. So you'd, it doesn't have to be as difficult as as right. maybe yep. as maybe you were just talking about. I mean, the reason that you're talking about buying it and doing some refurbishment to it and increasing the value to it is that allows you to be able to suck out your money at Take the money end back out, yeah. and go and do another one but in its purest form buy to let is straightforward it is as easy as just go and buy a house give the keys to an estate agent they'll they'll keep you right if you get a reasonable estate agent yeah um, or you can actually do it yourself there's enough information to be able to let you do it again time and I guess exactly like you key. say, the, so the objective of your 25000 might be to buy a property to then hold on to it, add an item, and you're going to get the capital return when you sell it, or you yeah. just want to keep it. Hence, But you've essentially lost that 25000 You haven't lost it, but you can no longer have access to that capital yes. if you do that. But for a lot of people, that's fine. They don't want yes. a portfolio of properties. I guess what I was describing was making that 25000 work for you repeatedly yes but so by buying a property that's slightly below market value or needs some refurbishment you add that value back in again so you can then recycle the yeah, funds recycle back. and get that money back out do you want to talk about that just briefly because i interestingly i've found some people find that concept a little bit hard to get their head around so you see online you'll see a lot of phrases like um, no money down and i think people think they're literally buying a property for no money although it's uh. not quite as simple as that it's I think yeah. I think in in the, in that in that example, what you're really talking about is no money left in. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so by that I mean you've put your deposit down to buy the property, you've done your refurbishment works, whatever, or you've asked friends, family, or whatever tradesmen to help you do the refurbishment works. I'd I'd lump all that cost in 
as to your purchase price that is that is your total investment whatever you've spent you can rent it out for a minimum of six months and then with banks regulations as they are now for mortgages you could in theory reapply to refinance the property at six months and uh, usually you'd end up paying a little fee to get out of the mortgage that you already have so you don't have to do it that fast you could just wait until the two-year fixed rate finishes and then remortgage at that point but at that point, you can remortgage for the higher value of the property and, in theory, release some or all or maybe more than the amount you put in in the first place, depending on how the deal stru- structure worked at the start. Which then frees you up to reinvest. Which, in yes, obviously. essentially gives you your £25,000 back in your pocket to then go and do again. And I guess that's the way most traditional um, people with a property portfolio have developed that portfolio. Yeah. And the key to that is it just takes time. Yes. Um, so the the you know if if each one takes you between six to twelve six to six months to two years, sorry, to actually recycle your funds, then it starts slow, but cumulatively you will end up with significant pots of money coming back to you. You know, ten twenty years down the line. Oh, it's compounding, isn't it? It is yeah, compounding, absolutely. and it does make a huge difference. Um, and as someone who's been doing this for a number of years now it does compound in your favor and it, what starts out being very slow very monotonous and very tedious it can it can be quite demoralizing that yes. you're not getting the the kind of you need a lot of patience to begin with yeah the, you're not getting the kind of energizing effect that you want but you know there's no need to reinvent the wheel buy to let's work yeah and i think that's one of the reasons we wanted to record this podcast as well because i certainly wish i'd started my property journey earlier and I didn't necessarily have the capital to do it, but the earlier you start, the faster you begin that um, acceleration towards where, I guess, you want to go. Yeah. And while you're looking at buying your one buy to let, you might look at 30 or 40 others that you could deal package. Yeah, exactly. And it's all about just getting that momentum built up. And it's interesting how fast that momentum does build that you find that it's... In some ways, you need some patience, but I actually find it happened faster than I thought. I think mm. once you start putting your shoulder behind a little bit yeah and and that's that's the thing that's fairly common for most people's experience when they start out in property yeah no i agree so i guess logically moving on so that was they invested twenty five thousand. so let's assume that that's been done um and you're you've now made fantastic returns and you've now got fifty thousand that you want <laughs> to invest so again it's um if you've got a lot more capital sitting there interestingly i think when you get up to the, the larger volumes of capital and you've never invested in property before some people can find that almost the scariest thing so what's interesting is because um if you start out relatively small you build up your risk tolerance because you, you build up your knowledge and you're not jumping in with this massive sum to risk however if you start with that big sum it's a lot of money to immediately lose and not a lot of knowledge is always an interesting thing that's why i find inheritance really interesting because a lot of people talk to me that have got inheritance sitting there and it's the first time there's been that one with capital sitting because it's not common for people to have that amount of money sitting mm. waiting to do something with and it's a pretty scary something to lose um so fifty thousand. yeah you've almost you're almost spoiled for choice because you could do all of the options we've already talked about yep, or multiples of the uh, options we've already talked about absolutely fifty thousand is two twenty five thousand isn't it so you can go and invest or it's ten five thousand pounds we could be here a while <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah, so there are lots of there are lots of options that just because you've got the larger capital doesn't mean you can't start at the bottom and de-risk. And it's interesting how often I've given that advice. Yeah. So people seem desperate to burn the lot. And you're like, hang on, you don't have to put it all on black. Let's take portions yeah. of it and right, 
try doing this um, yeah. just invest a little bit in a little bit of different things yeah, yeah. I, I in fact had that conversation the other day with someone who's you know you might have 50 or a hundred thousand pounds sitting in the bank account go and read a book yeah <laughs> yeah. It was my actual answer. Yeah, but it's funny how de- that's almost a. Oh. Yeah, but, but, but I want to go and. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, fine. Yeah, <laughs> bet it on a horse. But, exactly, but it's interesting how it does burn a hole in people's pockets, doesn't yeah. it? Me- metaphorically, it's interesting. Yeah, and it acutely sorts them out from from what they were doing before, which is they don't really understand what to do with their money. Yeah, exactly. So I guess assuming that um, the they're not just going to break that money up. Yeah, because which is. To be honest, it's probably what I would do if I had fifty thousand. Yes. I would not be investing in a single investment more often than not. Yes. However, um, see, however, you there are. Do wish to? Yeah. So, so I mean, the thing is, is with that amount of capital, you can look at larger value properties because yeah. you can still do. You're going to need a twenty five percent deposit. Yes. <laughs> regardless. Exactly. That, yep. So, by having larger deposit means you can buy a larger property, and buying a larger property does come with some additional incentives because you could actually take what would is a say a four or five bed house mm-hmm. um and you could actually turn that into what's called a hmo or a house of multiple occupancy mm-hmm. where you would essentially rent out all the rooms to different people and they share the bathrooms and the kitchen mm-hmm. you may even put in en suites if you're feeling particularly it's very common in um, university towns for students and so on. student lads and and i have i have one of these yep. as you know and and they work very well because you can charge a higher rate of rent per room per month yep. than if you were just to rent the house to a single family. So one one HMO could give you quite significant return, maybe 15 plus percent per year gross return. Um, and they also make up what is quite a difficult property to rent. Um, much more straightforward. So yeah. by that, I mean, there aren't many people who are wanting to rent big houses because they would buy generally um but what if you've got a big property you can then break up into an hmo and you're basically mm. subletting the smaller rooms then it's a much more uh, attractive offer and it's also more affordable for yes. the people renting yeah exactly. Um, so exactly. the the obvious thing to say about hmos or it seems obvious to us is that you can't do this everywhere nope you absolutely there can't are, yeah. there are restrictions on where you can do this um in Scotland, it's quite heavily restricted to be able to do HMOs. Absolutely. Um, and you, you do have to get permission from the council and pay for licences. So there are and additional that is costs. not always easy. So for, for university towns quite often will have a lot of HMOs. So I know, for example, St Andrews, if you want to set up a HMO in St Andrews, it is incredibly difficult. So there's pretty much almost... So it's not, but it's almost an embargo in giving out any yeah. more HMO licences. I think the same is happening in Stirling as yeah, well, isn't it? It's very, very difficult because basically it's all the properties are just being swallowed up by that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's not, as you say, it's not a plug-and-play strategy that when you have to be very careful in your research make sure you've spoken to the council up front you're aware of the availability of these licenses yeah. otherwise you can find yourself and i think down in england they're called article four areas where you i didn't know basically have to go through the same process and oh, they, they've said that they're not having any more hmos ah interesting. so okay. it, it is something to look into depending on where you're which area you're looking into yep. um but it's just to be aware that you can't do it everywhere um, and there are some additional costs like licenses to pay for. And, and additional regulation around fire safety. Yeah, exactly. That kind of stuff. However, it is uh, a popular strategy and one that you'd certainly worth exploring. Yeah. And if you are time poor again, if you're going to employ an agent to actually look after your property and look after your tenants for you, make sure that your agent is 
experienced enough to be able to deal with the problems that inherently come with managing a HMO property. Because obviously you've got different people sharing a house. Inevitably, there's potential for conflict and problems that arise. And if you're not wanting to answer all these phone calls at the end of uh, your day's work, then get someone who who knows what they're doing and be, and be confident that they can deal with those problems for yeah, you. Yeah, they can be a little bit higher maintenance. Yes, yeah. that, that is an, a, an understatement at the yeah. best of times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so certainly, it's a it's a possibility available if you've got the high deposit. You could go and and jump in HMO kind of territory. Um, I think we agree that we'd probably do a multitude of the other strategies before we went there. Yes, absolutely. Um, the other. Um, the other strategy that we've kind of already touched on is called serviced accommodation. Yeah. And which is our primary strategy at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um obviously we talked about it before where you where you rent the property from the landlord and mm-hmm. pay them their rent. So rent serviced accommodation. But if you had fifty thousand pounds of capital, there's no reason why you couldn't just go and buy a property and with that intention of running it as a service accommodation. And whilst that might not appeal as the first uh option uh, for most investors, it is possible to do so. You can um, rent these properties out using agents who will manage these type of properties for you now. Absolutely. Um, you can actually go and buy these kind of properties with this intention and have the correct mortgage product available. There aren't as many of them on the market and they're quite often, as we know, because uh, we looked into it, uh, they're often a higher percentage of interest. Yep. Um, they're usually only available from commercial lenders. Um, so you wouldn't want to buy this property in your own name. Nope. And you're probably going to be asked for a, maybe a 30% or plus deposit. So by not asking, uh, just for clarity, not buying it in your own name means buying it through a company, not yes. buying it as... Buying it through someone else's name. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so you, you, this is this is difficult. And there's usually a, a barrier that, that most people fall down at this one. And that is that they don't have enough experience to run the property as a serviced accommodation. And that is something that a lot of the lenders want the company to have. Yes. So if you're somebody who's just starting out and thinks serviced accommodation is great, I'll go and buy a property and I'll run it as serviced accommodation, it's going to be tricky. Yes. Is is probably the, the, the nice way of saying it. And the the other way you would do it is probably not advisable and verging on illegal. Um, yes. Yeah, it would get you in a bit of trouble, I would say. Yeah, you don't want to end up in mortgage fraud problems. No, and I'd be actually interested to see how many people are without being aware of it. Uh, so it's probably worth pointing out, running your property as a serviced accommodation is not your typical buy-to-let mortgage. Yes. And I know a lot of people personally that are running properties that way, and I know at least one or two have been somewhat surprised when I pointed out that their mortgage company may not be entirely happy with that. Yeah. So their view was they, they were still... Um, letting out tenants they didn't quite think through the ramifications I don't think so yeah. it is always worth checking with and I guess our approach is generally to be as forthright and upfront as possible with our mortgage companies because if you're not like you say you're basically it's fraud so yeah it's, if you are thinking about getting in service accommodation make sure your mortgage provider is aware um, and you're not just running it as a buy to let mortgage because you can get yourself in a bit of soapy yeah and I think I think that that's a more nuanced kind of investment and certainly if you had the, the fifty thousand pounds and no experience of property i'd i'd be hard pushed to suggest that that would be something i would even 
mentioned to anybody no, in fact in my conversations that i have casually with colleagues and other people it's one that i never even bother to mention no i'm the same um, so interestingly my my conversations with them actually follow the flow of this podcast in some ways which is if you because quite a lot of people want to do service accommodation they find that idea interesting quite a lot of them are basically almost described our journey which is like you start off with a relatively small investment and do a rent sa you use the revenue from that rent sa to build up some profit that you can then go and buy an SA if you wish because you've essentially built up the track record of running SAs through a company that will then allow you to go and do the capital investment so it's an, it's quite a natural flow in that is generally the conversation I have with most people that ask Yeah. Uh, otherwise it's your general um, flips and buy to lets isn't it yeah and I suppose what's probably worthwhile mentioning because I don't think we're going to talk about any other strategies at this point in this podcast but actually when I started out investing in property I started out with a student debt. Mm. So I was technically negative. Yep. Capital. Starting out with that less than zero. Yeah. Um, I don't know what, what, whether or not you and Lindsay started out with um, a significant sum or an investment inheritance or something. No, so basically I um, I went, I was a limited company contractor in oil and gas. So that, as a limited company, um, you're basically generating profit straight into that company. So we were using that profit to then start our property journey. So you had to work for it? Yes, so you, yeah, absolutely. you worked and earned, earned your initial deposits yes. and, and started that way, which is very common and typical of most people. Yeah, but like I say, I um, that's one of the reasons I was saying I wish I started earlier because we'd started in that traditional way of working mm. and almost saving up that deposit, whereas yeah. you didn't. So you arguably started much quicker than we did, if you know what I mean, because we could have started without having yeah. that lag time. Yeah. Um, it, I just thought it was worth mentioning that we're not saying something that is, you know, we were given any good gifts or no, you know, no, silver spoons not. in our mouths or anything like no, that we we, we we earned what we went and we learned what we learned along the way and you, you know what you what you reap you reap what you sow yeah well yeah i've certainly not been bankrolled by the bank of mom and dad it's been no. a, a bit, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. so i think we've been going for a while and that's us pushing 50 minutes actually which is zip past um Crikey. hopefully that was worthwhile um so like we say that uh, we are not um financial advisors but we hope people have found that useful um, by all means, do your due diligence of any of the strategies we've recommended. But like I said, there's nothing stopping you getting started. Um, if you've got time or you've got a lot of money, just get there and go for it. Yeah, and that wasn't an exhaustive list. No, it wasn't. Was uh, I was actually thinking we, we probably need a, a follow-up podcast if there's any interest to this one. Because yeah. uh, I think there's a few more that you can talk about. And there's also probably a few things we can probably talk about in a bit more detail. So if there is, anyway, feel free to drop us a note and we may expand on it. But I think we'll probably leave it there. Thank you very much. Cheers.